0: Oh no! Someone's 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 um. Texted you? A no, no. Me. We we have been mentioned in somebody else's comment on an Instagram.
1: Holy poop! Who's anyone? Anyone important?
0: Oh no! Um, <laughs> no, somebody, no 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 <laughs> no! Um, another another history um. A, what do you call it? A blog? An, another history Instagrammer mentioned the fact that there was um, a, this picture of some Grade Two listed toilets in Birmingham. And I mentioned the fact that there's a pub near the Liverpool Philharmonic that's um, grade one listed.
1: Oh, the toilets in the, fill, the, in the Philharmonic the to- pub, yeah, 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 yeah the
0: yeah. grade one listed.
1: They're uh, incredible. Have you seen them?
0: Of course. If you're in, if you're in Liverpool and you need a slash, that is the only place to go. It's worth walking up the hill <laughs> just for the for the glory. And the they bit- still
1: they still have the uh, the the original hatch where they would make orphans wipe people's dicks off.
0: Little known fact. I really hope that's not, true. not true. I'll tell you what is, tr- what is definitely true, though, is that while the men's toilets are Grade One listed, hmm. the female toilets, because they are an add-on from later, are apparently just terrible.
1: Mm. Yeah, but that—that that, like, you know, it's not right, but it kind of fits with exactly how women have been treated through yeah. throughout eighteen, no more than that, Ninety five 7.8% of recorded history.
0: It just seems like if you've got some, some toilets that are amazing, you would just replicate that when you were building some female toilets. You wouldn't cheap out.
1: Yeah, but why would you want the women to get the idea that they were cared about? Well, Yeah. Hmm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, <laughs> let's open this up because now I'm in the comments section of Instagram rather than in the story. So, let's do this. Oh, just before, just,
1: just, just have, we added, like, have we had it, like, we any praise comments from people we don't know? <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> hey up, I'm Joe Heathcote, and this is Consistently Eccentric, a podcast where I will attempt to teach a friend of mine a lesson from British history, focusing specifically on the lesser known and less believable people and events that the history books tend to leave out. So let's get started with... This story takes place in the Georgian era, and... Three words to ease you in. Mm-hmm. Scotland. Mm. Birmingham. Mm. Manchester. Boo. Well, <laughs> I have to say that the, the important part of this story takes place in London. So, <laughs> anyway.
1: This fucking country.
0: Man. <laughs> well, don't worry, we're not starting in this country, because in 1780, Ooh. pro-slavery lawyer Robert Sewell... What a dickhead. Well, we can't say that straight away.
1: He was pro-slavery. He's I know, like he, may have had, he may
0: have had redeeming qualities. Let's, let's listen no, to him a bit.
1: this is one of those override scenarios. Okay, well,
0: he was appointed Attorney General of Jamaica.
1: <laughs> what? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Later, as an
0: MP in England, he would argue against abolishing slavery on economic grounds uh, and would reject calls for a minimum space for slaves being transported from Africa on the ship.
1: Right, yeah, yeah, you asked me to withhold my judgment of him and then, as a dick.
0: Feel then, <laughs> free to judge now.
1: Uh, well, full judge, I'm, you know...
0: You don't like this man? No. Well, predictably, for someone who has these strong views, within a year of becoming the Attorney General, he had fathered an illegitimate child with a local woman.
1: Was the local woman a slave?
0: Uh, the local woman, I don't know if she was a slave or not, but she was definitely... Um, not english she was jamaican um this child was born on may 1st 1781 and was given the name william davidson so didn't get daddy's name
1: of course he didn't
0: however when he was 14 Mm. william was considered important enough that his father took him back to london with him when he was recalled to stand as an mp because they they'd loved the work that he'd done out there (laughs) I should have pointed out, he didn't go out there a, b- a bachelor. He was a married man. Yeah, of course yeah. he was. Um, uh, he decided to bring William with him, so that's wow. nice. Wow, so in
1: the 1780s, we were still in the time of, like, recognised bastards being, like, a part of the family. Like, you know, not a part of the family is probably the wrong way of saying it, but part of the household, I guess, is probably the way he, of saying.
0: For whatever reason, this one particular racist oh lawyer decided to... Bring um, his
1: half-black...
0: Yeah son back over but don't worry he didn't wow he must
1: have super (coughs) respected his wife
0: yeah he did he didn't let him stay in london with them he immediately (laughs) sent him off to glasgow to study law so that he could go into the same profession as his lovely dad
1: oh well i kind of hope that scotland was as more tolerant like i can't imagine that it was like super tolerant Mm -hmm. because i don't think anywhere in europe was super tolerant in the 1780s but like i hope scotland was more tolerant than England would have been at the time
0: well they were they were tolerant of money certain things the they were to- weren't so tolerant of the English as it turned out because uh, <laughs> while he was in Glasgow uh, studying law he'd been exposed to quite a lot of revolutionary politics and he was getting quite into the idea that every man should be equal and that there were some massive um sort of
1: fundamental things wrong with the state of the world
0: yeah yeah um, <laughs> what a bastard
1: how could anyone say that
0: but he, he turned out he was quite a good study of law and he got so far as to be apprenticed with a lawyer uh, in Liverpool so he was he was well on the way to becoming <laughs> a lawyer where he could affect change
1: just during the slave trade still I and mean, it' been banned by this point hadn't it when did Wilberforce? No, was it? Will, was it Wilberforce? William Wilberforce? William
0: Wilberforce? No, it would would still be having the slave trade at this point. Oh,
1: good. So Liverpool was a great place to be a, a young black man. Jesus Christ.
0: Well, you no, know, but he was he was dressed in finery. He was looking good. Um, mm. he was um, probably pointing out to everyone, "I'm a lawyer." <laughs> don't put me
1: in the. No, 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 no. I see you back there, Captain. You get those <laughs> fucking chains away from me.
0: Well, it's funny you should say that. Oh, no. <laughs> because he he decided that actually he didn't want to be just another cog in the imperialist machine. He didn't want to be one of those people who was going to grease the wheels of this oh. corrupt state. Iconic So nice. he welcomed the dawning of a new century by running away to sea in
1: 1800.
0: Bold. Yep. It's definitely as far away from lawyering as you could get. Mm. It's quite a way, at least.
1: I don't know. Mm. Somebody on a boat's still got to, like, you know, deal with a big pile of shit. That's that's, that's basically what I understand lawyering to be.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, either way, his plan to avoid getting entangled with the British imperialistic state kind of hit a snag when he was press-ganged into the Royal Navy. (laughs) 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 So <laughs> <laughs>
1: Britain, we're everywhere. We're going to ruin it, and you can't stop yeah, so us.
0: <laughs> rather than helping with the paperwork to oppress people, he, he was, was
1: directly oppressing. Yeah, he people. was
0: directly on the front line of making sure that all those colonists stayed loyal. Did they even have to pay him?
1: Like, uh, if slavery was legal, did they no, even no, have to pay he him?
0: Was, he, was, he, was a, he was considered a British citizen, so oh, he was, right. so he was he a press gang, but he, he couldn't still actually be
1: a slave because yeah. he was a British citizen. So, Lucky for him.
0: Mm. Well, when he was discharged sometime around 1805, his dad had hoped that William had had the rebellious streak knocked out of him.
1: <laughs> yeah. Rum, sodomy and the lash will probably do that for most people. <laughs>
0: well, you know, he'll be ready to settle down. You know, he's, I don't he's, know, it
1: depends how much the sodomy's affected.
0: <laughs> well, anyway, he arranged for William to have a second crack at uni. It's like right. Oh, so
1: he never finished uni? Like, the, I thought he'd yeah, done he uni, did, oh, but he had apprenticeship, apprenticeship now. Apprenticeship.
0: Finished, right. So he basically, his dad was like, "Okay, you've had your gap year now.
1: Hope it was fun." <laughs> your gap five years, yeah. sailing around the world, beating people up.
0: <laughs> you, you know, you've you've got all of that out your system, uh, and this time, just to make doubly sure that things went the right way, his dad decided to send him to a, a, a more insular subject that he was going to do, and to a less politically minded institution, somewhere a bit further away. Hmm. Uh, so we sent him to study mathematics in Aberdeen.
1: What was it with the Scottish universities? I think it's... Was, was, it like it, in, was it like in modern times where you just didn't have to pay the fees?
0: Reading between the lines, it was a case of, I, I'm i going to look out for you because my sense of um, what honour is, is that I can't just leave a son that I fathered... Hmm. Um, out in the world Out of in own. the world, because... I I don't know what situation his mother was living in, Mm. but I'm assuming it wasn't one where she could have, as a single parent... Sent him to Aberdeen in Jamaica. ...in Jamaica, sort of provided these opportunities. Uh, But at the same time, it was also, I don't really want you too close to me because that... (laughs) that, Will harm my career. Yeah, well, it it would demonstrate that I actually have no honour. Jesus Um, Christ. So we sent him to Aberdeen. But shockingly, William didn't like the life of a secluded scholar and he ran away again.
1: I thought Aberdeen was a pretty happening city in the in the Victorian days. It it's called the lots of Well, this is granite- the this is the Georgian. Oh, times. Georgian, is- yeah. Fair,
0: fair. Um, so this time he ran to Birmingham to open a cabinet making business.
1: His his dreams have significantly downgraded from I'm gonna I'm gonna roll out of the imperial system and justice for all to I will open a small trade shop.
0: <laughs> yeah, and I don't know, and He's I couldn't aged. find out where he learned how to make cabinets. Probably in the sea. Well, um, it's the only place that there's a gap long <laughs> enough for
1: him to have learnt a skill but his bunk mate was uh, as well as being a massive sodomite was a, was was a wood carving expert.
0: great at dove, dovetailed yeah, joints. <laughs> um so
1: a glue gun in sight. Yeah. I don't know why he's Scottish. Anyway.
0: Well, I uh, you, no, no, because he, he jumped a boat in Liverpool. I was going to say, if he jumped a boat in Glasgow... Now you're in sight, lad.
1: <laughs> no, Jesus Christ, that was appalling. I'm sorry, Liverpool. And you live <laughs> in
0: Merseyside. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, right, so he's got his cabinet-making business, and unlike his excursion to sea, he was mm. left to his own devices to develop it. He, nobody tried to make him do other things. He was free for the first time in his life. Oh, boss, good for him. Yeah, And he even began dating the daughter of a local merchant. So it seemed William... He's on the up and up. He's got away from his dad, found a niche, uh, and he's ready to begin putting down some roots. Carving dovetail to fill that niche. He's he's ready to go. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the father of his girlfriend decided that William was just trying to get hold of the reported £7,000 dowry (whistles) that was attached to her her marriage.
1: That's a lot of money for back in the day. So could have bought a ship.
0: It's you know, if if you're a dad, you are going to be worried about your daughter. So he went to me with William to have a heart to heart.
1: Was it really a heart to heart, or was it a, I'm going to beat you up and scare you off my daughter?
0: Yeah. Well, I was only joking about the heart to heart. He arranged to have William arrested on a false charge. Uh... Yeah. yeah. Because that was, was the
1: false charge being aggressively black. <laughs>
0: Possibly, <laughs> or it could have been that this this guy was just really—he wasn't good at direct confrontation. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I I would tell you to fuck off out of my daughter's life, but it's it's just too awkward. <laughs> I mean,
0: I haven't looked into this guy enough. I mean, I just know him as the merchant. But it may be that <laughs> the every merchant
1: of Birmingham—that's a lesser-known Shakespeare play.
0: <laughs> it may have been that every every single. Um, partner that his girlfriend brought home the dad would have a yeah. false charge drummed up against it may not have just been william but man that'd, chances be, a, that'd are. be a
1: great twist on the shylock thing wouldn't it if he was a brummy
0: <laughs> no
1: well, if, if you if you're listening bbc get on that <laughs> like for the first time i'll watch one of your terrible shakespeare adaptations if you make shylock a brummy go for it Sorry, carry on.
0: <laughs> so, while fighting the case, and no doubt using the lawyering skills... Yeah,
1: he's got a pretty good... He's probably got a better chance of any other technically untrained black person who's in a trumped-up charge yeah. in Britain.
0: So, thanks thanks to his dad for that. Hmm. You know, Robert, he Accidental redeeming feature. One small redeeming hmm. feature. But while he was doing it, he found out that his girlfriend had married another man. Jesus
1: Christ, that uh, was quick.
0: Yeah, well, he didn't take the news well, and he attempted suicide via poison. Oh, poor bugger! I know. What? Where did he get
1: poison
0: from? Well, pretty much everything was poisonous back in the day, wasn't it? First, because, like,
1: because he just literally smashed the window on a haberdashery shop and drank a pile of mercury.
0: Yeah, or, you know, just lick the windows. I'm pretty. I, I have the drink uh, milk. Yeah. <laughs> I have the opinion that pretty much everything was toxic. It was just the degrees to which it was toxic. <laughs> well, he survived anyway. So whatever poison he went for wasn't you know fast yeah. acting or wasn't particularly good quality. But as you can imagine, the entire affair kind of damaged his reputation and his business failed after that because you don't want to buy your cabinets from a guy who, you know, although he wasn't formally charged. Has had, been arrested. Had the stink all, of that yeah, over him yeah. and also, I'm guessing, while recovering from, you know, mm. poison-induced...
1: And depression.
0: Yeah, yeah situation! I, I, I doubt he's making many cabinets that week.
1: <laughs> Maybe he was, but he was making out like, really weird Tim Burton cabinets, <laughs> all <laughs> twisty and black.
0: <laughs> but the one thing that Williams learned to this point is, when things don't go your way, you move on and you adapt.
1: Yeah, you, you run the fuck away and hope to find your feet.
0: Yeah, and he did. He he moved this time to London, where he got to work on the staff of Lord Harrowby, no less.
1: The hell's Lord Harrowby? Ah,
0: he was the Lord President of the Council. <laughs>
1: What council? The council. Ah,
0: <laughs> see, I've got this in brackets because I knew you'd ask that question. He presides over the pri- the Privy Council. Oh wow! And is considered the fourth most important political uh, position in the country.
1: Wait, so the leader of the Privy Council didn't have to be the Prime Minister? No. Back in those days?
0: Yeah, doesn't now necessarily. Um, so you've got is Prime just, Minister, yeah. you've got Chancellor, you've got Home Secretary, yeah. and then you've got this guy. Right, so he's number four. Still pretty good. I mean, if you've got, come from uh, you know a failed cabinet making business and you're working on the staff of the fourth most um, influential. Oh, he's t- sorry, fifth most influential man in the country. Shouldn't forget there's a king. It depends <laughs> which George
1: it is. Which George are we talking about here? Oh, I don't know. If it's George the third, then no one cares because he was crazy.
0: <laughs> so he he also managed to get married himself, though.
1: Oh, he moved on quick. Yeah,
0: not as How quick the as hell she did. He had. get
1: that job. He just did. Man, maybe maybe racism just wasn't as much of a thing as you... Th- like, like. Or maybe they just thought about it in different terms. Like, it didn't matter if you were black as long as you were British. Like, if you weren't British, God help you, we'll, we'll clap you in irons and shove you in a box and yeah. whip you until you die. But if you are British, your colour of skin is irrelevant.
0: It there, there were periods in British history where it was more a cultural thing to be British than it was a, sort of like a visual thing. Yeah. And so long as you shared in the culture.
1: Man, I wish we could go back to that. It's solved it a lot good, of problems right now. But yeah, Nigel he, Farage.
0: He got married to a widow called Sarah Lane, so there was no issue over the dowry. Hmm. So, you know, nobody was out to get him. <laughs> she already had thought. <laughs>
1: do, you reckon, do you reckon that was like a grim realisation on his part? Like, he's moved down to London, he's dated like six seven different women and every time he gets close enough to ask them for marriage the father barges in and goes you're not getting the dowry (laughs) I know what the merchant of Birmingham did and I'll do it again (laughs) in the end he was like fuck it I'm only dating widows
0: (laughs) well she had four kids and they quickly added another two so they were obviously very much in I hope he
1: was a nice stepfather
0: Mm, Uh, things were so good uh, William even started teaching in Sunday school
1: Oh, wow. So he's, yeah. he's got religion, even though he's like, he's had a fairly sort of he's, up and down. He's life.
0: settled. He's a married man with a steady job.
1: Working in kids, top end politics.
0: Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So he's he, basically
1: a civil servant.
0: No, so, I think he worked on the staff. I think he worked in the yeah, house. Yeah, but I
1: doubt there was like, oh, right. Okay. Never mind. Right. Then.
0: Yeah. Um, yeah. So he's teaching at Sunday school right up until the point that he had to leave after being accused of attempting to seduce a female student. Oh. But overall. It is likely that William would have carried on in his nice little rut Mm -hmm. that he'd got himself finally, Mm -hmm. that he constructed for himself. This was nothing to do with his dad. This Mm -hmm. was nothing to do with what other people wanted him to do. Uh, If it weren't for an event that happened hundreds of miles away uh, at a place called St. Peter's Field in Manchester on August the 16th, 1819.
1: Ooh, I know about that.
0: So for people who don't, though, after the end of the Napoleonic War in 1815, England had won. Get in. Uh, but was essentially bankrupt. Uh, I mean, so get in. <laughs> we'd won, but at what cost? And yeah, it turns well, out a very high hmm. one. But what
1: can you really put a price on kicking the French back to where they belong?
0: Yes, you can. And that price is extortionate. (laughs) So, uh, high taxes and massive, massive unemployment. Because not only did you have the unemployed people in the country anyway, you had quite a few demobbed soldiers coming back to what they expected would be a hero's welcome. At least a few hundred thousand, Mm. surely. And, of course, sharp... (laughs) <laughs> yes, Sean Bean came back, <laughs> but he was he was already you know he's a dower he's a Yorkshireman so he was already disgruntled.
1: Yeah,
0: uh, but it led to the common folk beginning to question the fact that at this point in history only about eleven percent of men uh, had the right to vote, and of course no women. Yeah. So what that was? What you're talking about? Maybe five percent of the population yeah, yeah, were voting, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, and the soldiers were sort of like everything's crap. We should have a say. Y- and the common people got right on board with that.
0: <laughs> yep. Uh, this was obviously further exacerbated by the Corn Laws, uh, which were keeping the cost of bread, which was the main staple and foodstuff of all of these poor people, high, yeah. very, very extortionately, and completely artificially. Yeah, high.
1: yeah. How did it work on that one? Was was it like the the government seized all the flour or something mm. like that, wasn't it, and then doled it out according to what money they needed rather than...
0: Yeah, you know, they, they, they needed to raise money quick, so they... Sold they, all yeah, the they, bread. They just made it artificially rare so they could hike the price up and then everything's great mm. because it's it's making them money.
1: 100% they were Tories, so, yeah.
0: 100%. Well, large petitions have been ignored by Parliament. Oh,
1: yeah, they're definitely Tories.
0: So the reformers turned to organising mass gatherings because that's another way to show that you've got strength of numbers uh, to try and force the MPs to listen and hopefully negotiate. Uh, the large crowds in Manchester certainly got the attention of a local magistrate. William Houlton, mm. Uh he ordered that the man addressing the crowd, Henry Hunt be brought to his chambers so, so that they could have a good discussion mm. no again, didn't. <laughs> yeah, again that's a joke uh, he ordered that he was arrested yeah. immediately, so on the way to the stage the local militia, which had been recently created specifically to help manage large gatherings like this one uh, they happened to, little snafu killed a child as, as will happen when they, you're walking yeah. towards the stage to arrest somebody. Yeah, of course, were these um,
1: blue coats, or were that, was that? Did they come up later?
0: They don't come up here. Oh, okay, no they mind. may have had blue coats on, mm, okay. or a nice, you know, purple windcheater. Something <laughs> it gets cold in Manchester. <laughs>
1: More rainy, I find. But.
0: So, as you can imagine, this incensed the up to this point quite um, calm crowd.
1: Yeah, relatively calm. Like, yeah. We're talking a, a large crowd, sort of going, yeah.
0: But now they're they're a bit more angry (laughs) about the the way we're going to stab
1: you until you stop.
0: So the magistrate decided that the only option left was to ask the fifteenth Hussars, a cavalry regiment, no less, who just so happens to be there, uh, to disperse the people.
1: (laughs) Well, this comes back to um, I've I've always taken uh, the the Terry Pratchett view on what coppers should and shouldn't be, Mm. and I think you'll probably agree with me. Coppers should always be civilians first. Because if they're soldiers, then they have to have an enemy. Mm. And if they've got an enemy and the enemy is the people, well, soldiers only know how to deal with enemies one way. Well, to put it as Pratchett did, a watchman is a civilian, you inbred streak of piss.
0: Well, these guys decided that the best way to deal with these slightly disgruntled civilians Mm. uh, was to charge at them uh, with with sabres drawn. Of course. 15 people were killed. Only 15? Yeah, over 400 were injured, though. Must have been drunk. uh, In the chaos and the confusion. And the event will go down in history as the Peterloo Massacre. Uh,
1: Ah, Peterloo. Yeah.
0: So, you'd think after that...
1: It was quite an important event, though. It kind of led to a lot of eventual democratisation reforms, but, Mm -hmm. like... It's well, a bit shit that it had yeah, to happen though. It right?
0: may, have, may have eventually led to that, but in the immediate aftermath, the government doubled down on their efforts to crush any revolutionary 100% reformers. 100% Tories. Yeah. By implementing the six acts, these were laws specifically to provide a means of shutting down any group that the government didn't like the look of. So uh, you could stop you meeting, they could stop you <laughs> publishing things, they could basically follow you around. Oh. It definitely worked, because within two months of Peterloo, William Davidson, mm-hmm. our... Yeah, you know, our happily married man in London working for well, a government.
1: Let's, let's drop the happily married. He probably was seducing Sunday school students. So, you
0: know. Well, a married man who was working <laughs> in the house of one of these guys. He was now um, gone back to being a revolutionary. Uh, he had become a member of the Spensian Philanthropists, which was uh, an extremist revolutionary group, and they were led by a man called Arthur Thistlewood.
1: They they had better names for things back then. Like, nowadays, that group would be called like I don't know,
0: Kill Rage Kill.
1: <laughs> just some just some sort of like army or revolutionary council or something like that. Like like the Spencean Philanthropists. Yeah, that's, it's nice. That's just that, that like they they're named after a philosopher. I don't even know. Wait, like, I, I love that. That's obscure.
0: Mm. So Arthur Thistlewood, he he didn't just talk the talk, he had walked the walk because Mm. during the Sparfield Riots of 1816, Mm -hmm. so three years before Peterloo, Thistlewood had marched a small group of rioters to the Tower of London itself and demanded that the soldiers inside surrender to him. I mean... They were enacting revolution. there's, there's There's a
1: thin line between, you know top-level revolutionary and psychopathic nutjob. So. <laughs>
0: well, the soldiers had not surrendered. They had instead laughed at him and closed the very big doors that they have at the Tower of London.
1: <laughs> I've seen those doors. You're not yeah. getting through them without, you know, a cannon. Of some well, <laughs> they had
0: pistols, so, yeah. Doesn't count. They brought a pistol to a cannon fight and it didn't work <laughs> out. So Thistle, Thistlewood had been captured after this and he'd been tried for high treason, no less. And he got away with it. He was acquitted on a technicality. Nice. As it was argued that the main witness for the prosecution, mm. an agent provocateur named Castle, had actually been very instrumental in planning the very poorly planned attempted revolution, and he had a history of coercing people into committing crimes and then reporting them for the crimes that he'd kind of convinced them was to Was there, do? like, an
1: epidemic of that? Like, no, nobody had, like, come up with an entrapment law. This <laughs> <Just> basically... <laughs> Because we've done a few podcasts where this has happened and people have got got away with it.
0: (laughs) Yeah, well, the the idea of an agent provocateur is to be somebody in there who's just feeding the information back. Yeah, yeah, You know, that's that's all. He was just supposed to be spying, but he was so determined to get the big score that he was basically like, right, we're going to do a revolution. Here's how we're going to do it. Here's the map. You're going to do this. You're going to do that. And took on the role of leader, which they all successfully argued that,
1: Well, it sounds like that the legal principle was becoming established that if somebody else, like, like basically makes it happen and then you just do the actions, then it's very likely that without that person deliberately making it happen, you wouldn't have done it in the natural course of events, so that you can't actually be found guilty of that crime.
0: That's what they argued, and only one of the conspirators in this case um, was eventually tried and hung. And that was um, a guy who wasn't actually a member of the group. He was just uh, an Irish soldier who had decided to tag along <laughs> and had got a bit too pistol happy.
1: Of course, they hung the so, Irishman. Yeah. Of course, they hung the Irishman.
0: So, despite, no blacks, no Irish. But despite nearly being convicted of high treason, mm. uh, Thistlewood was determined that he <laughs> would start that revolution. He's, he's had his practice revolution. It didn't go well. He knows that. I
1: know what I've done wrong now. I need a yeah. cannon. Do, I need more people.
0: Uh, and in February on 18, 1820, a member of the Spencean philanthropist, George Edwards, he spotted a notice in the Times.
1: Right? Revolutionaries wanted a lie <laughs> with him. Now it
0: said that Lord Harrowby yeah. was hosting the Prime Minister and the entire cabinet for a dinner at his house on the 23rd. Mm-hmm. Uh, half seven why would you put that why would you i mean george commented that this this is like the perfect opportunity to get rid of the the entire cabinet in one go it's it's almost too good to be true <laughs> oh
1: dear <laughs> was our was our friend uh william was he an agent provocateur as well
0: no, William wasn't, but oh. George Edwards was. Oh, uh, he was. He was definitely another agent provocateur, and the notice had been placed as bait to catch this award, who, presumably learning nothing from his previous experience <laughs> with agent provocateurs, <laughs> he jumped trusted
1: it. a person he didn't know anything about. Yeah.
0: William, who's only been a member of this group for months, mm. he's a bit more cautious, and he said, look, up until very recently, mm. I, was, I was working in that house on the staff so how about i go and speak to some of the people i used to work with
1: see what's the deal yeah, is,
0: yeah. See, see if it's actually something that we can use or if if it's maybe it's a, a fake, trap yeah. so he went down spoke to the old co-workers and they told him categorically they went nah lord h he's not even in london
1: there's no dinner
0: we're yeah. not planning anything dinner don't know what you're talking about mate so course, he goes he goes back to the Spencians and he goes
1: it's all lies. Arthur <laughs>
0: there's nothing happening on the twenty third. I don't know why that notice is in there, but it's probably best we don't do anything. Uh, Thistlewood dismissed it out of hand and said, the servant was obviously lying. Okay. Because you would. <laughs> I I don't think William uh, opened his gambit with, I'm thinking of killing Lord Harrowby in the entire cabinet. <laughs> Can you confirm he will be <laughs> supping on the 23rd? What? I think he's probably... He's a lawyer. I think he's a bit more astute than that.
1: Jeez. Yeah, <laughs> maybe he wasn't. Who knows? But he wasn't a lawyer; he was a cabinet maker
0: with lawyer training. Who mm. can also tie a bow knot? He can. He can do pretty much everything Satavise at this point. You. <laughs> so,
1: <laughs> I'm not letting the navy get away with it, man.
0: <laughs> with misgivings, with probably definite misgivings, on the 23rd of February 1820, eleven members of the Spencean philanthropists. Including William Davidson.
1: When anyway. Okay, they, so you're undercoating yourself. There's no chance I'm buying that this guy's switched on, dude. <laughs> he knows it's a fucking trap. Jesus. Well, they, they
0: didn't go straight to the house. They met in a hayloft on Cato Street to wait for the moment to storm the house. So mm. they were at least waiting to see if maybe the Prime Minister turned up. Or if, you know, you know the Home Secretary turned up. So they've not... They've not completely gone in all guns blazing they've just they're, they're hanging back to sea oh Jesus, all right, but before they had a chance to storm into the house, they were stormed in on <laughs> by thirteen members of the Bow Street runners,
1: oh, the original police force
0: and if if it seems like a small number of police to take on eleven hmm. potentially heavily armed men mm-hmm. you know thirteen to eleven. That's because the policemen were supposed to wait for reinforcements from the Coldstream Guards, so they were sending a a detachment from...
1: The household guards of the monarchy. Jesus Christ, it was serious. Uh,
0: But the Bow Street Runners got impatient and thought, nah, we can... We We can have them. (laughs) They're probably looking at a pub across the road and like, look, if we do this now, half an hour, we can be in there. (laughs) Heroes. We won't even have to pay for a drink. (laughs)
1: Uh um, Bow Street's literally round the corner we can get banged up in front of a magistrate ten minutes tops. Yeah.
0: The almost even numbers obviously meant the proceedings quickly deteriorated into a brawl. Uh, Thistlewood ran through a policeman with his sword called Richard Smithers. The so sword he, was called Richard Smithers. Yeah, his sword. Good old No, he ran, Smithers. He ran Smithers through with his sword. <laughs>
1: so, Grammar is important.
0: Yeah. Richard, obviously at this point. Really, probably wishing that they'd uh, wait for the Coldstream stream guards, bought uh, <laughs> some of his co conspirators erected. Uh, erected. <laughs> they did. Wow, you know what really
1: gets me going? Murder. We were specifically watching my colleagues get murdered. I'm having it.
0: <laughs> so he, um, they elected to either surrender or to try and run away, mm-hmm. uh, leaving the Spencians outnumbered. Rather more heavily than they actually were. <laughs> William himself was captured uh, when he had his blunderbuss knocked from his hand. <laughs> the blunderbuss uh, by a policeman with a truncheon.
1: A blunderbuss is a terrible close combat <laughs> Well,
0: yeah, I mean, it, you wouldn't think blunderbuss versus truncheon that the truncheon would come out on top, but in this particular, Just one it step
1: up from a flintlock.
0: Well, eventually though, even the ones who tried to run, they were all caught and all 11 men were placed in prison to await trial. Mm-hmm. And even worse, the police and the prosecutors, they'd learned from the Sparfield situation and they were...
1: Kept very storm about the age of... Well, no, no, they
0: were like, we're not going to call George Edwards to the stand uh, as a witness at all. We're just going to have it based on the merits of what actually happened, the facts, we're going to stick to that. Mm. And they also benefited from having a star witness because they had managed to convince one of the 11 men to flip on his fellow rev- revolutionaries and to spill the beans on everything.
1: Right. This is either going to be the leader or the bloke we're talking about in our stories.:
0: <laughs> Well, no, it wasn't either. It no. wasn't Arthur Thistlewood and it wasn't William. William stayed strong probably because he knew... If they all just stayed dumb and they all it. blamed it on the agent provocateur because they clearly knew who it was, yeah, yeah, yeah. then they could use the exact same defence that had worked.
1: Yeah. So basically, um, one of them was an idiot.
0: Obviously, that didn't really help because the man, Robert Adams, he described the plot, what everybody did, and he was then released without charge.
1: Well, yeah. So he didn't.
0: He didn't even get this for a, a, a shot. So this is high treason. And he didn't even get a, a reduced sentence. They were just like, okay, and off you pop. Have a nice day. Thank well, you.
1: That's how corruption works.
0: <laughs> so William, William had to come up with a defense. And his first defense was to claim that he was not at Cato Street at all. Uh, he'd been wrongly identified as white policemen found it very difficult to discern between black people. So that was his first defence. And this argument was strengthened slightly by the fact that it was exactly what had happened when he had been accused of attempting to seduce the female student at the Sunday school. When it had been investigated, it turned out that it had been a completely different bloke who had been shouting lecherous things at her as she walked back. Who
1: just happened to be a black person.
0: Yes, and she only knew one black person. So she immediately assumed that it would be him and accused him. Oh, and well. at, to okay, be so fair to her, it after it all then. shook out, she apologized and she she hopefully learned a very valuable lesson from it but obviously in this case (laughs) uh, robert adams testimony made it very difficult for the jury to believe this defense
1: wow so the recurring theme of this podcast is rapidly becoming that we've gone absolutely nowhere in any (laughs) politics It's always corrupt. It's been corrupt. It's corrupt now. Race relations, shit then, shit now. It probably
0: also didn't help that the policeman who knocked his blunderbuss from his hand then promptly arrested him, and from that point he, he had never been, left custody. Yeah, he'd never left custody. So the idea Look, that the he'd not been a, at Cato Street—the
1: fact it was a stupid argument—doesn't
0: change the fact that it like was based on a true event. So he he dropped that argument. Right, fair enough. Uh, He then... (laughs) You've mastered my
1: first cunning plan, but can you beat this?
0: (laughs) Well, he decided that he would argue that he would not be able to receive a fair trial due to the colour of his skin, insisting that the jury would just assume that he was um, without understanding or feeling and likely to behave in a brutal manner because of the colour of his skin. Wow, so he played the race card. Yeah, and then he immediately undermined it um, by saying... And of course, you need to know about me, I never associated with men of colour, uh, although I am one. I was very well brought up, and I've always found most of them to be so very ignorant.
1: So, <laughs> so, his, so he, his argument, he played the race card and like, was racist at the same time.
0: Yeah, so he said, no no jury is going to give me a fair trial because oh, they God. think that all black people are ignorant and brutal anyway <laughs> and and, and are, then he not. he backed it up by saying and i also believe this to be the case but i am not
1: right so wow was like, talk about your moral quandaries and judging yeah. this here he's like is he you know is he quote unquote oh, excuse me quote unquote uncle tom has well, he just internalized racism jesus christ what a quiet i think man. i
0: think this is a person who's scrabbling for some way out of this situation and is willing to try throw
1: throw all the mud at the wall and see what sticks yeah
0: see what sort of reactions he's getting to everything. Mm-hmm. But in this case, the presiding judge, he tried to put William at ease saying, and I quote this, mm-hmm. you may rest most perfectly assured that with respect to the colour of your countenance, no prejudice either has or will exist in any part of this court against you. A man of colour is entitled to British justice as much as the fairest British subject, which is quite a good thing for a judge to state in open court to go on the record.
1: Yeah, I mean, wow, to about setting a president. Mm.
0: And that is... Yeah, one hell of a precedent to be yeah, set, right. even if it is in such a, you know, in, in a case of high treason.
1: I wonder if the National Front knew about that back in the 80s. <laughs> uh,
0: and, but what comfort William could take from this was limited, as despite he gave up on the idea of trying to prove that he wasn't there or that he wasn't guilty, mm. so he went for one last gambit, and he argued very eloquently that he shouldn't be found guilty of high treason because that was specifically around trying to injure or kill the king. And he stated that he'd never planned to kill the king, that he had, and you know, he'd served in the navy, he always was a loyal subject to the king, and that there was um, legal precedent that said that a uh, British citizen may act against the government if they feel that the actions of that government are bringing the monarch into disrepute.
1: I, It's basically, I'm not against the state of Britain, I'm against the way the state of Britain
0: is being yeah. run. Uh, unfortunately, that final plea mm. uh, fell on deaf ears and he was sentenced to death along with Thistlewood and three others.
1: Well, so some of them got away oh, with Well,
0: it. the remaining five, because there were 11, one flipped. Mm-hmm. Five are now uh, sentenced to death. So mm. the remaining five uh, were had their sentences commuted to transportation to the colonies.
1: Australia, basically.
0: Yeah, uh, this was achieved in part by them claiming that William Davidson had been the one to acquire and distribute the guns. Oh, Jesus. So Christ. they basically said, we thought we were going to beat them up and send a message, and then... It became murder when this bloke yeah, got involved. when this bloke brought everything. But if that is true, you wonder why William would give himself a blunderbuss. Yeah. If he's the one who's got all the weapons, it's not what you consider a traditional assassin's tool Yes. It's a blunderbuss. <laughs> <laughs> mm. that, that feels more like the weapon that you give out last when all the other weapons have gone.
1: To dumbass Jimmy. <laughs> yeah. You don't to, really want there. <laughs> yeah,
0: to the guy where you, you don't, yeah. You, you're, you're worried enough about him that he's got one shot. <laughs> you don't want it something that's easy to reload. Um, so they were sentenced to die by being hung, drawn, and quartered. Jesus. Oh, no. In the 1800s. Jesus Christ. But luckily, this sentence no longer carried the stipulation of having their bowels torn out while they were still alive, as that had been abolished seven years before.
1: Right. Whoa, holy... Yeah.
0: (laughs) So instead, William Davidson stood on the scaffold outside Newgate Prison, in front of a crowd of thousands, preparing to be hung, with, luckily, his intestines still inside his torso.
1: Leaving behind a wife, four stepchildren and two children.
0: Well, this all took place on May 1st, 1820. Mm -hmm. It was his 39th birthday.
1: Wow, it wasn't even that old.
0: Yeah, and it was his birthday.
1: Oh, sorry... Wow.
0: Yeah. So when I'm saying he was 39, he was literally... Just 39. Wow. He's reported to have faced his fate with stoic calm. And he said that he didn't care about his own life ending. He was only upset by the thought of his six children having to grow up without a father.
1: Mm Oh, he didn't differentiate between his stepchildren, that's nice.
0: Yeah. In general, it seemed that the crowd were broadly sympathetic to the conspirators and worried that this event might turn into... I don't know, a, a riot of some kind. Uh, there were two troops of soldiers positioned just out of sight. very uh, sneaky British yeah, government. But they were complete with big signs that were telling the crowd to disperse, should yeah. they need them. And if that failed, they also had eight cannon.
1: Fucking hell.
0: So there's there's a crowd. You, you, would,
1: you would murder a crowd yeah, there with is eight a, cannon.
0: A crowd of thousands. With
1: eight cannon pointed at them.
0: Yeah. Well, they don't know that there are eight cannon ready to be wheeled round <laughs>
1: Yeah, you know, there's a reason that we're known like the, the British state is known as perfidious Albion around the world isn't there? we are a bunch of liars weasels and bastards <laughs>
0: well, in the event luckily the crowd remained peaceful uh, generally peaceful uh, and the troops weren't needed so Londoners we's here for an hanging <laughs> yeah. the five men were hung for a full half hour
1: whoa yeah. that's a long time
0: before being well
1: they were very dead
0: three of them um William amongst them uh, they fell and died immediately two of them that's the most merciful way I suppose yeah unfortunately they, choked rather than in the next yeah uh, one of them to the point where the executioner had to go underneath the scaffold mm. jump up and have a little tug on the legs to, to help gravity with the old situation because it was getting a bit <laughs> silly but he was
1: he was choking very very
0: very slowly there were lots of very distressing guttural sounds coming from this poor guy
1: delightful hmm
0: So you can imagine the crowd had come for a quick, they weren't particularly happy and they were even less happy when each body was cut down, placed in a coffin and then a surgeon came along, went up to each, no, no, it went up to each in turn, cut the head off, lifted the head and did the whole, this is a traitor and then popped it back in the coffin um, disrespecting the bodies yeah.
1: because the crowd was broadly sympathetic with yeah. their aims Yeah,
0: so the crowd reacted so angrily to this yeah. um, that the surgeon quickly had to retreat within the prison in order to avoid being lynched this would be Newgate prison yes uh, these five men were the last people to be subjected to the sentence in England however it remained an option on the statute books until 1870 so for another 50 years hmm. beheading was removed a short time later as a possible sentencing option in nineteen seventy three <laughs> and the death penalty for treason was finally abolished in
1: nineteen ninety eight yeah, but that was that, I remember that happening because yeah. it was more of a sort of like well, we all agreed back in the forties that we were never ever going to do this again ever so
0: <laughs> yeah, well, you know people say Tony Blair's a war criminal, and that may be true, but at least he stopped you know. I mean, you know... Uh, the death penalty for, for the people, treason. People
1: talk a lot of shit about Tony Blair, but you've got to remember that back when back when he was running for um, prime minister, the, the general election manifesto of 1997 included the promise that no child would have to use an outdoor toilet in the UK anymore. So back in 1997, that wasn't a stupid thing to say. There were enough kids using outdoor toilets that it was worth a leading politician going, we're going to get rid of outdoor toilets. So, you know...
0: It's not that long ago, but it's also
1: very long ago. It took us a long time to get our shit in gear. We just don't like poor people in Britain.
0: So, William Davidson is remembered as a revolutionary whose eloquent defence of his beliefs and bravery in the face of death and dishonour helped to change the public's view on extreme capital punishment.
1: He seems to to have lived a pretty straight-up life. He just didn't want to be... He didn't want to be anybody else's puppet. He didn't want to be anybody else's lackey. And like, when he saw beyond, injustice, beyond, he yeah, tried he, to take a stand against yeah. it. Yeah, he seems like a straight, streets—not straight, straight. That's not the way I was looking for. A stand-up kind of dude. Mm. Like,
0: and poor, as, poor, bugger. As this is technically our um, Guy Fawkes Night episode, <laughs> I think it's important to remember that Guy Fawkes wasn't the only person who was, you know, hung, drawn, and quartered for trying to overthrow a government. Um, although for slightly different reasons, and yeah. that maybe it would be nice to spare a thought for people like William Davidson who just really wanted mm. to do yeah. something I mean, to make well, things better. Yeah.
1: Let's, let's let's you know, it's, it's, it's actually unfair to compare the two because Guy Fawkes is remembered. I mean, technically, he's remembered as a villain, but he's not really because nobody gives a shit whether he was a good guy or not. But like, he's remembered even though what he wanted to do was replace one monarch with a different monarch, he didn't want to change the mm-hmm. system, he just wanted a different, a monarch of a different religion on the throne, that's mm-hmm. all he wanted and this William Davidson just wanted, wanted like, genuinely wanted to make the world a better place he wanted more democratic representation I mean I don't know where he stand. you know you can't let the perfect be the enemy of the good you can't say well he probably didn't want women and you know people under 18 or whatever to vote but
0: he definitely wanted, he, he wanted things to, to he improve. wanted to
1: improve things mm. poor bugger
0: it's just unfortunate that rather than some of the other revolutionary mm. groups that were all over london at the time he Selling hitched his wagon to they, yeah. arthur thistlewood who apparently couldn't spot a trap mm. uh at all
1: <laughs> yeah it's just unbelievable mm.
0: So, there you go. Seems
1: loyal as well, because even though he knew it was a trap, he marched straight into it anyway. Hmm. On the off chance that he might have been able to help make the world a better place. Nice man. Yeah.
0: And that's that's a good place to end.
1: Hmm.